Hello, and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Josh Chappell. Today, we'll be talking about the latest You Make the Card details, discussions about the new Dragon's Maze spoilers, building a vintage community, and also a discussion about food and drink in Vegas for the Modern Masters GP. Yeah, so we have two special guests today. We have Joe McKellar and Heather Meek from Las Vegas. Joe and, and Heather have been getting together a, a vintage community there. They're sort of starting from the ground up. I know Joe has done a lot of work, and Heather has just <laughs> has suddenly gotten into vintage and is now a very vocal proponent for the format, which is awesome. So, yeah, I do talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So we're, we're just trying to get them in and, you know, we'll talk about some ideas for, for getting a, a vintage group started in your own area if you don't have one and where to find people online if you can. So um, we welcome both of them. Hi. Thank you guys for having us. Hey, everyone. How's it going? So I don't know if you guys have been paying attention. The uh, You Make the Card campaign has been going on. And, I was uh, paying attention until they didn't make an artifact angel. Oh. Well, we have we already they decided will. earlier that they're basically just going to make functional reprints of either Necropotence or Chains. <laughs> yeah. So what, so what they have right now, we're at, uh, we've so far, we, the user, have so far voted for a black enchantment. Right now, until midnight tonight, we have the choice between global enchantment or aura. And uh, I suppose after that, they'll start getting into mechanics. I'm pretty sure as vintage people, we know which we want to win in this vote. Yeah, Aura. <laughs> Wait, but doesn't the thing say Enchant World? <laughs> no, Global Enchant. Oh, man, Not if enchant it were Enchant world. world, that would be insane. Yeah, because you can only have one Enchant World. Yeah. Right. On board at the time. Yeah, that would be awesome. I, I wish, actually, that they'd had that be. Maybe it would be if Global Enchantment gets voted in. Yeah, that would be sweet. They'll bring back the Enchant World mechanic. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting. Like I think Josh said that they're either going to do Necropotence or Chains of Mephistopheles. That sounds great. Yeah, I'd be okay with either of those. <laughs> I can't wait until Chains of Mephistopheles is a commonly played uh, standard card. <laughs> One thing that we were talking about that we kind of didn't really know what to think about is that they weren't posting standings currently. So, you know, like, how do you know that voting actually means anything? Yeah. Well, I, I, Nat, you linked something where some guy was like, I, I personally voted at least 10,000 times for white <laughs> and yeah. there were only 8,000 votes for white. So something's yeah. fishy. I mean, Didn't I tell you he wrote that article. <laughs> I, I may know someone who uh, set up a bot to vote for white. And he apparently voted for, for white 10,000 times and was disappointed to see that it only had 7,600 votes or whatever. And, um, <laughs> That's fantastic. So I'm pretty sure, as I said before, <laughs> wizards can pretty much do whatever they want because there's not a lot of transparency here. <laughs> I mean, also, those are, it's impressive that you can waste 10,000 votes. Well, he wasn't doing it by hand. He set up a, a vote to do that. I mean, he set up still, a vote. Still, but you still <laughs> took the time to vote for white. Right. <laughs> right. Because white needs more enchantments. Oh, well, I mean, white is an enchantment color. It would have been good to have it be work, working with Sarah's Sanctum and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, you know, as I said, it's just a 
it's just going to be a neat exercise, and I think we just sort of have to watch and wait and see how it goes. So. We'll keep watching the uh, You Make the Card, but for now we'll we'll move on. Dragon's Maze is coming out soon, and got spoilers on the on the line. I think one of the most interesting things is that uh, split cards are coming back. That's always one of my favorite mechanics. I mean, Fire and Ice is pretty cool and vintage, and I know uh, research and development was played in Doomsday before Labman got uh, printed. But I really I wanted hide and seek to be good. Yeah, I was really uh, psyched yeah, on hide and seek. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Um, but we have a, have a couple new one, new split cards coming out that potentially have vintage applications. Actually, there are probably a few of them, but uh, I think uh, wear and tear is probably the most basic one. That's half shatter, half destroy target enchantment, which I think is... It, it could have been something really great, but at, <laughs> with the shatter costing two, it's just not quite there. Like, this card could have been a really beautiful, elegant, simplistic... One red one to shatter, yeah. uh, one one white to destroy an enchantment. As it is, it's just sort of like, yeah. at least in an eternal format, it's why not play disenchant? Yeah, I, I think it's probably it's probably not going to quite make the cut. Um, the one thing they did with the the split cards this time is the fuse mechanic, which allows you to play both halves at the same time. Does does wear and tear have fuse? Yeah, they all do. Oh, I didn't all realize they have fuse. I, that that makes it better than I thought then. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a mechanic designed specifically for the card type this set. Right. So after wear and tear, which I think is a, a pretty basic utility spell, might see some play in vintage in a, a red white eight deck. We move on and we get Beck and Call, and I think Call is pretty much ignorable, but Beck is an already playable effect. It's uh, essentially what is that card? Glimpse of Nature. <laughs> yeah, Glimpse of Nature. Except it costs um, twice as much as Glimpse, doesn't it? Isn't Glimpse it's, one green? Yeah. It, it's it a green and a for it. It does cost more, but it also has a better effect in that it's not when a creature is cast, it's when a creature enters the battlefield. Oh, yeah, that's true. So it triggers on tokens. So if, for example, you were to play Mox Emerald, Mox Sapphire, Black Lotus, Rite of Flame, back, empty the Warrens, I think you'd draw, what, 10 cards? Maybe 12? I think 12. Something like 12 that, cards. yeah. Yeah, I was I was trying to figure out when I heard about this if there was anything that like skip a draw, put a token into play, but I don't think any of those effects exist to like go infinite. Well, I think the the big one is uh, um, zombie infestation. Yeah, because you can if you have a card in hand, you can discard it, put a zombie into play, that triggers back, you draw a card, you can discard that, put a zombie into play. But you have to discard two cards. Yeah. Oh, it is just discard two? Yeah, uh, zombie infestation is two cards. You're getting one of oh, the card, card disadvantage sucks. backs, but ultimately <laughs> still kind of sour. What? Who was talking about that card? That card's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Ohio. I mean, it... it... Paul Nicolo used to play that card all the time. I uh, know. Yeah, I mean... Okay, so so it's not that good. But anyway, it might be a, a good as some number of glimpses of nature's up to eight in an elves deck. That sort of. I don't. Thing. I don't think you want eight glimpses in elves though, because you don't want to draw into glimpses and beckon calls. You want to draw into draw like elves, right. pretty and shamans and. <clears throat> right. Well, the, doesn't the elves deck run for um, skull clamps? Skull clamps anyway. Like, I mean, I could see having maybe a fifth glimpse. Because, it, it, well, it kind of does an extra thing, too. So, like, if you happen to have it, 
you glimpse and then you cast that because we all know that there's no issue for mana for elves decks. Right. And then you're and like every time you play a guy, like you're drawing two cards off of it. So it it just gives you like I guess it gives you a fifth effect, right. you know. Whereas if you it kind of like double glimpsing. Right. Oh, and it might get some some more use off of the you know token generation sort of thing. I mean, you could yeah, maybe make some changes and, and snake basket. Yeah, the old snake Fliskin deck. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that that will probably see at least some experimentation early on. I think one card that I was sort of interested in is the uh, render silent card, uh, which is an instant counter target spell. Its controller can't cast spells this turn. It costs two blue and a white, which is counter spell plus orbs champ. I mean, we were sort of talking about the blue-white control decks last week and last month, whatever that was. Anyway, and, um, yeah, I think this could see some play in, in a deck like that where you really want to shut them down for a turn. Yeah, I think ultimately this seems honestly best in a deck like Restoration Snap Control where the, the drawback of costing three is not as great when you don't actually have anything to do with your main phase with your mana. I mean, mana drain is advantageous because it only costs two, so with four mana you can drop something that costs two on your turn or do something like that and still have two up. But with all your creatures having flash, all all the spells you want to play being at instant speed, then having those three up isn't necessarily three mana that you're not doing anything with if you don't use it to counter. Right. Well, to be to be fair too with this card, like it's not just a three casting cost spell. Like it's effectively three and a half mana because it costs two blue and a white. Yeah, that's, that's pretty true. that's pretty specific, especially when most blue decks and benches don't really have many white sources. <laughs> I don't really want to play white, yeah. Yeah. Like if they're if they're playing any white, like it's gonna be just just the mocks and if they are playing uh tundras. I just, I just don't feel like that card fits in more of like the Bomberman-esque shells. I mean, right. I guess you could, I guess it could see some play in like the, the new style of Keeper decks that are kind of popping up like around the central United States that are playing City of Brass, uh, so they can run like the one of swords, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's also bad in a counter war because you can just play it and then your opponent just continues to counter it. your spell with it on the stack and it yeah, doesn't. Right. Oh yeah. Well, like also, also like if you're fighting on the stack with that card, three million, like three mana is like a million. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> like, yeah. like you just get so much more value out of cards like Spell Pierce, Flusterstorm, Spell Snare, etc. Mind Trap, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, Mind Trap obviously becomes amazing in those situations. Right. I think you're also right in like generally in Vintage, if you're casting a three drop, you probably want to be able to cast that off of land, land mocks. Right. And you're highly <laughs> unlikely to have that combination when you're you know, when you have three colored mana requirements. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing too is that Orum's chant is a or the Orum's chant effect, Orum's chant um, abeyance, that sort of thing, is better as a proactive effect where you do it on your opponent's upkeep and don't let them even cast the first spell. Yeah, that's true. So you know why are you waiting for them to do something when you can just stop them entirely? The, and that's that's an effect that. Like duress, like cards like duress and thoughtseize kind of handle as well. Like if you're gonna be if you're gonna be forced to use slots for a card like that, you'd better be better off just running like drain and thoughtseize or drain and duress, where they can actually do those things proactively. Right. Another card that we looked at was uh, Blood Scribner, which is sort of a modified Dark Confidant. This is a zombie wizard creature. It costs one in the black. 
this text says, if you would draw a card while you have no cards in hand, instead draw two cards and lose one life. I think this is the card that I saw people talking about in combination with zombie infestation, because you can get hellbent and then uh, always uh, be drawing from zero. Right. If that's... So you drew a 2-2 two, two token? Yeah. Right. Every time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you draw a 2-2 two, two token that is also two cards. Yeah, I want to play against that deck. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying what what Spare people trade. are talking. Nat brought up zombie infestation. I just. I'm sorry, it. I did. I didn't realize it cost it's, two cards. Yeah, it's, it's way better terrible. at one card. Jeez. At one yeah. card, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, my my feeling on Blood Scrivener is that uh, you know with Dark Hotline, you always know what it's going to do. You might not not always know how much damage you're going to take, but you know you're going to draw an extra card at the beginning of your upkeep. And with Blood Scrivener. You might draw extra cards, but do you really want to be hellbent to do that? The, uh, like, that card might be some type of playable in maybe dark times, but, like, your control decks are all about card advantage anyway. Like, if you're at zero cards, you're probably lost the game. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're certainly not holding counter spells in your hand until you can draw a card, right? So. No, exactly. And, and, I feel like, why would you, want that card when Bob is just infinitely better. Right. Yeah, but I, I guess that's the same thing for Dark Times, too, is that Bob is just better. And combos know. terribly with Blood Scrivener. What's that? Bob does? Bob, yeah. Because oh, yeah, he, draw, he puts the card into your hand yeah, before you draw. Right. I mean, Blood Scrivener combos bad with itself anyway. Right. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, because it doesn't make it so you draw an extra card, you draw two cards. Oh. Um... <laughs> so. So if, yeah. you draw, if you have two blood scrivers out and you're going to draw a card, you're going to draw two cards, but you're not going to draw three or four if you have two. I, I feel like if you were if you were thinking about run, running that card, like if you were desperate enough to run it in your deck, you'd be better off just spending the extra mana and running Frexian Arena, because at least you know you're going to get the card every turn. I love that yeah, card. Enchantment is a lot yeah. more difficult to to deal with on the. Yeah. Board. Oh, enchantments are Jeff, tough Jeff to deal with. Jeff exactly made this choice. <laughs> <laughs> And I think last but not least, we've got Ral Zarek, the new planeswalker. He's a that he's a man color. is pure sexy. There you go. <laughs> I think that's all we need to say, really, right? <laughs> he's got anyway, the, he's, uh, he's got that he, thing coming right out of his crotch. It really is. <laughs> Do I have to look this up and see what yep. this art looks that like? All right. <laughs> You're right. You got a little uh, French horn mouth piece there. Oh, uh, if you look at the, uh, the Star City Games comment thread on this announcement for this card, somebody was like, is he playing with his nipples? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I never noticed that. Oh man. <laughs> I mean, it's no earthbind, but. Anyway, he costs two, a red and a blue, comes into play with four loyalty counters. He has three abilities. The first one is a plus one ability that taps or uh, and untaps a target permanent. So uh, you tap one target permanent, then untap another one. The next one is a minus two ability that deals three damage to target creature or player, basically a sorcery speed lightning bolt. And the third ability is a minus seven ability that also has you flip five coins, and then you take an extra turn for each one that comes up heads. I think that's pretty... I mean, the first two abilities are certainly vintage relevant. Tapping and untapping permanents. You can go infinite with Time Vault for one. I mean, I think that's probably the most important. You can also reuse things like Goblin Welder, Tarmogoy, that sort of thing. 
dealing three damage is pretty good. Uh, obviously, being able to hit your opponent is nice, and you also get to kill things like Lodestone Golem and other creatures. And then you get to the third one, where it's like this totally random, here comes variants, flip five coins ability. Right. Yeah, since <laughs> they spoiled this card, I noticed that the uh, two-headed coins on Star City Games went up to like $1,300 and totally sold out. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that totally makes sense because I, I would definitely see people taking advantage. But I, I mean, I think he's I think he's vintage playable. I think he's at odds with Jace just because of the mana right. cost, which sucks. But I, I he seems effective. I like yeah. Bolt on a dude. Untap's time vault doesn't search for it, but no, no, he he doesn't quite do everything with time vault like uh, Tezzeret does. But being able to combo infinitely with time vault is pretty good. And I, you know, I think the blue-red combination is sort of interesting because uh, thinking of that automatically puts me in like a control slaver mindset, and I would, wouldn't mind seeing him untapping welders to take an extra, an extra weld. I mean, the welding ability is really strong, and yep. Um, no, and you also, I mean, you could also potentially untap Bazaar to go with your welder. Or you could untap something and like Manival. I have some really yeah. awesome bazaars. There you go. <laughs> I've heard about those. Hands on for me. Yeah, that's right. They got shipped across the country. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's he's got some potential. I mean, uh, I, I definitely think he'll he'll get tested, and somebody will probably find a home for him. And he's sexy. And he's really sexy. And apparently, feeling himself up in his sexiness. Yeah. You know, I'm never going to be able to look at that card and not think about that. Yeah, no Thanks, kidding. Guys. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we, what do we think about the, the flipping five coins ability? Is that, is that good? Is that bad? I mean, I suppose you take, you would take an average of two and a half turns, right? Right. I mean, it's, it's okay. I, I think that you're probably going to get honestly better mileage out of Using his bolt ability three times. Right. Well, I mean, you have to think, in, in the time that he uses his plus seven ability, let's say that he does get two extra turns, you know, he goes from, you know, figure he started at eight, goes down to one, and then he would go back up to three. Woot. Is that, is that I, good? I don't, I don't think that's good enough. I mean, like, I just said that like, out loud and I was disappointed. So yeah. I, I, I actually was at first thinking that it, it was seven coins. Which I'd be more prone no. to, but at five, yeah. it seems pretty sour. <laughs> because taking two extra turns isn't good enough for Jeff. Well, no. I mean, you spent you spent at least three turns getting him up there. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you're you're almost winning more, right? I mean, like even yeah. even Jace's win well, ability is like by the time you're to like negative nine or it's a nine counters on Jace, like you've pretty much already won. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's like all of the, the Planeswalkers' ultimate abilities are supposed to effectively win the game. Does this one effectively win the game? If you take two extra turns, does that win the game? I mean, that's that's pretty good. You you could have just played Pyromancer Ascension and cast Time Walk, though. No, no, because we're playing Vintage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. More importantly, though, we're Magic players. We like to accessorize. So don't give me a sexy Planeswalker that wants me to flip a coin then not give me a coin. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, they true. Should include are, coins. Are there I any? Bring a coin. That would be awesome. They never have released like an official Magic: The Gathering coin to flip. 
That's I know. I mean, what, what, what kind of bullcrap is that? Like, <laughs> if, you're, if you want me to flip a coin, give me a coin. <laughs> I want a two-sided yeah. angel coin. Yeah, you'd probably get a Ralph's coin, though. <laughs> like, it's it's his head on one and his butt on it the is. other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do better, wizards. Yeah. <laughs> if we want them to do better, they just need to stop printing so many creatures. Yeah. Way too many creatures. <laughs> well, they just need to make, stop making creatures that cost so much for what they do. Yeah, there's yeah that. that's true. Did you see, well, um, I know that, that card, the, the new, how do you, I don't know how you say, is it Thesa? Thesa? The, uh, the, the, the tenth chick? No. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, Tessia, like Envoy seven, of Ghosts? Yeah, her. Oh, her. A lot of people were saying they wish she was, um, four to cost and one one. They were saying that would be much better than having her be seven for four four. I know that I would never pay four mana for a one one. <laughs> well, I think well, the thing so, is, Tessa currently costs seven. So keep um, keep in mind though that all these cards are made for standard and limited. Like they right. they don't they don't really right. think about us when uh, they're designing cards. Right. Like I, I would say that the last actual card that was specifically designed for vintage was in World Wake. Because uh, I forget who the lead designer of that set was, but I remember him saying in an interview that Lodestone and uh, Nature's Claim were both specifically designed for the format. And obviously none of the designers since then have even like, taken any of that into consideration. I mean, Rest in Peace is really close. Right, yeah, Rest in Peace is, a, is an eternal card. I mean, that's... And if it makes you feel any better, I tweet just about everybody at Wizards every other day to tinker me an angel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your... You've already got Platinum Angel. Yeah, you got Platinum Angel. That's pretty good. Listen, I have one Angel. You know, I say that. I say Tinker Me an Angel, and all of Twitter replies, you have Platinum Angel. I'm like, <laughs> okay. But you have, like, I mean, I can only have one Artifact Angel? Forget and it's you. a 4-4. Four, four. Come on, that's terrible. It needs to be at least a 7-7. Seven, seven. <laughs> I think even if it is a 7-7, seven, seven, I still think that uh, Inkwell's probably better, because at least it can't get bounced. <laughs> No, we're not doing tinker targets right now. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, there's still a long way to go on the dragon maze. Uh, dragon maze spoilers. I mean, we. Do we know what percentage have been spoiled so far? Uh, from what I have, we're at 55 out of 166, so we're a third of the way there. Hmm. There are some interesting cards that we've seen, so there could be some more. I mean, my favorite are always the uncommons that come out, so I always wait for those. It's usually the best cards in the set anyway. Yeah. yeah. You can't have a Snapcaster in every set. Thank uh, God. It'd be nice if it did. <laughs> but anyway, you know, the reason we had, had Joe and Heather on was to talk about building a vintage community and I think there's actually a lot of potential for Vintage right now. There's, um, I think Twitter has for some reason become this great place to um, find and talk about Vintage because I think there are a lot of players who are sort of out in the wilderness, Vintage speaking, and can't, they don't really have a, have a play group that wants to play. We're here for you, homies. Yeah, exactly. Like There are a bunch of Vintage people who can get together and talk on Vintage and, you know, help each other find opponents and that sort of thing. And You know, I, I think it's it's really ended up being a pretty good help. You know, there's still a matter of actually getting a group of people together so that you have 
you know, an eight or more person tournament semi-regularly. Joe's been really good at that though here. He's done a great job sparking vintage in Vegas. Mm-hmm. I've been trying, like, I'm, my, my first initial pushes for the format were pretty good, but yeah. it's, uh, well, let, let me explain a little bit, like, Eternal formats in general in Vegas are not very popular. We have a lot of really competitive players here, even though our community is very small. Like I, I would say the the Magic community as a whole is maybe a hundred players. That's okay. not that's not really a lot for for a city that has two million residents, and that that's not that's not taking into account like all super kitchen table, right, and etc. So. How many and, uh, players does uh, David Williams count for? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, Dave, Dave's kind of his kind of his own kind of his own uh, like his own polarity. Like he has a handful of players that gravitate towards him. You know, him and Eric Froelich are both mm-hmm. into vintage, so like they do their own drafts and things like that. They don't really come out very much except to things like uh, pre-release PTQs and occasionally when we have vintage they will come if he's in town. But with the World Series of Poker coming, there will be less less of those guys being around because sure. it's it's money time. Right. But um so anyway, we don't have very much of an eternal community. I would say there's maybe 20 total legacy players in town and only 8 of those people have all the cards. And since a lot of those cards translate over into vintage, it's it's really hard to get new players attracted to a format where the first thing that they think is, "Wow, I, this is really really expensive," and it becomes really daunting. <laughs> it becomes really daunting immediately. Right. So it, it was a challenge. Like it's it's and it's still a challenge to even get people who normally come to show up to the events. And I know, I know that there are a lot of people out there, especially in Europe, who are not proponents of proxies. But without them, our scene would not exist. Yeah, that's. Yeah. It, I agree. it would absolutely not exist. That's pretty much how it is in the United States. Like it's, it would just be. I mean, we actually have a lot of powered players in Cleveland, and mm-hmm. um, or at least semi-powered, and some people are acquiring power, but it's. It's but just, it doesn't even have to be yeah. necessarily um, power that that's the barrier because right. I mean, like you know, I have a, you know like a a decent presence on Twitter and lots of friends that trade. I mean, you know, Medina's my boss, so right. like, but I mean, it still took me three months to get billion clicks. Like, I mean, because I, I wanted to trade for them. Like, I didn't want. I mean, yeah, I could afford to just go plop down forty bucks or forty five bucks or whatever, right. but. And I don't know, okay, Star City Games has them at like, I think like 44, $45. That's a lot. Nobody, right. and I mean nobody is trading their clicks anywhere close to 50 bucks. Right. Like they just won't, like they just, they keep them. They just look at you like you're asking for a foil Jason Mind Sculptor and you're like, right. bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm offering you like 60 bucks and trade here. Like really? Give me a click. <laughs> And that's that's actually a really interesting thing too is that there are cards like that because of modern and because of wizards push for modern. Yeah. That those cards are really popular. Those like it is actually like as a trader, like I don't really trade as much anymore. Like I just kind of settled down at the beginning of the year to pursue other things, but like as a trader, I always like I could get you an an literal unlimited amount of underground seas if you needed them. But right now, right now, I could maybe get you two Vendillion clicks. 
Like yeah. I know no one who has them for trade, or no one that's even willing to trade them. Yeah. So it's 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 very daunting. The other thing with the players in Vegas too is they seem to get like fairly frustrated when trying to trade uh, for older stuff because I mean you know how it is. Most people break into Magic through drafting, through standard, and then they discover these old formats. And the traders out there aren't exactly willing to let go of their eternal cards. Well, a lot uh, of people aren't even prepared to get. I mean to to get rid of them. They don't have them necessarily. They don't have them on hand. They might have them in a box somewhere, but it's not. Like yeah. I know. It, it, it's yeah. really it's really hard for the newer players to understand how come their standard card that's like thirty five dollars now isn't equal value to a library, even if you're you're trading like. Right. I mean, they just don't. They don't yeah. get. You need a lot of that card to equal. The value yeah, of, you know what I mean? a premium on older cards once you get down to actually trading for them. For the library is appreciating, right. whereas standard cards are inevitably depreciating in, right. in most cases because yeah. once they rotate out of standard, a lot of their value goes away unless they're like heavily played in modern or legacy. Right. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons when Joe, I saw how hard he was trying to build the community here and like vintage just really appealed to me in my lifestyle and my availability and, you know, just everything about it. So that's one of the reasons I just said to heck with it, all you proxy haters. I'm a, I'm a, we're going to yeah. proxy the world. I don't, I don't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're, we're going to play vintage and, and ball out. We're just, uh, we're going to have fun. So, you know, you sit there and pout at home. Right. No, you know, I, I was saying a while ago that, you know, proxies are actually an interesting way to get people into vintage because I know there have been a few people on, on Twitter and elsewhere who have come up with, pretty interesting like themes for their proxies um, and that sort of thing where it's just like you know they're they're really putting the time and effort into these proxies which are now cards that they really want to play all the time so that that is actually something that's happened here too where right. We had a, a lot of people proxy their decks, and I know that a lot of places like Northeast Vintage and stuff, like they have pretty strict, strict rules because of their price structures and stuff about you know how many proxies you're allowed to have and how they're supposed to be done. I loosened up a bit on that here because I wanted it to be more casual, so people would come and play. You know, like cheaper buy-ins, so it was more like vintage FNM. You know, where it's like five dollars, ten dollars, and you know, you get paid in store credit, and a lot of the people who are who are actually doing well were using that money to buy the cards that they didn't have. Yeah, that was actually really good. Like, it gives you some appreciation for the format by having ownership in the format. It helps out your local shops. It gives you a reason, like when you have, like even if you have small cards like brainstorms and some ponders, you know, like cheaper, like cheaper good combo pieces like Yawgmoth's Bargain and stuff. You know, two and three dollar cards. As you accumulate those. It makes you want to trade the stuff that you're not using to get the better cards in your decks, right. you know. Well, I know I've, I've talked to store owners before who, who said that you know having vintage in the store really helps because they move cards that they wouldn't necessarily that, that people wouldn't necessarily have other interest in. So I mean, like those Yawgmoth bargains and things like that, where it's just like you know, people yep. are going to come and in looking for that unless they're playing vintage. Yeah, and that that happens that happens here too. We actually a lot of the uh, the shops in town don't really. Like, they won't give you a decent trade value on your Eternal cards when you're trying to trade them in, and it's because of that, like, they have trouble moving them. Yeah, they can't And a, a lot of vintage-specific cards aren't, like, like, Yawgmoth's Bargain is not legal in EDH, you know, so mm-hmm. the cards never move out of the out of the bulk boxes and things like that, so... 
mine and Heather's local game, game store, like, whenever someone comes in and buys a card like that or when they buy a card like Wheel of Fortune, they're just like, oh, wow, you know, and they ask, they're like, why are you buying this? And it's like, oh, so I can, you know, so I have the real card for so-and-so vintage event. And it's it's really helped. And I, I was reading somewhere on the manager and like, I think I was going through an old, like an old forum and someone was complaining about proxies. And I think it was someone from Europe. And what people don't understand also is that like Europe is like the size of the East Coast. Yeah. Like it, it's pretty small. Like it, at least all the places that you would travel to a relative vintage tournament. So and trading is easier. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you're like traveling is really easy there. You know, like you have, you have more traders, you have more shops that you can go to. You just have more access to cards than you do in the U.S. Like everything we do here is mail order. Right. You know, like you're not going to be able to trade for power every week because I'm, I'm not going to take a train to Ohio on a Friday, <laughs> you know, to go play in a, like a, that weekend's vintage tournament. It's just not right. feasible. Like the United States is huge and all the cities are spread out. So we don't have the same communities that they do over there. So yeah. it, it makes it makes it a lot tougher to to bring people together to play the format. In general, there are sort of a lot of complications in comparing the European scene to the North American scene and yeah. talking about proxies. I mean, it's not just the distance; it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of things. Oh yeah, like just the logistics part of it is atrocious. Like if you think about it. Like, uh, I, I saw Steve Menendian on Twitter mention something about someone wanting to do a bizarre Moxon style vintage tournament in the United States. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Where but do you even hold that, though? That's the logistical question. Not only that, but you need to have enough advertising and enough advance notice for players yeah. to where they can actually plan to go to this because, like I said, you know, bizarre Moxon is in France and Annecy or, or however you pronounce yeah, it. In yeah, so, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm living in England and I see that this tournament's going on, I can just use my rail pass and hop on the train and it's six or seven hours or however long it is and you're there. You and know, you sleep. Here, yeah, exactly. And here you have to fly and like flying is getting so expensive now. Like there's just, there's so much more to it that I think that's the reason that Gen Con hasn't ballooned. You know, like 150, 200 is around, I think, the number of players that you guys get every year. Yeah, it's also, really as, like as, as far as Gen Con is concerned, the prizes yeah. for Gen Con, I mean, the painting's cool, but the rest of it is, like, the worst yeah. ever. Like, yeah, it's really, true. You're going to give me sorted packs where you know nothing good is in them? Like, get the out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that speaks to the lack of popularity for a big sanctioned tournament like Gen Con versus, like, like, uh, the Northeast Vintage Series, which I believe just ended recently after several years going, like three or four years going or something like that. And, uh, like they're, like they have, they give away power and all kinds of things. And you would think that, um, having a large scale tournament like Gen Con would give, like the, the painting is unbelievable. I mean, who would not want to have that on their wall? And I, from what I understand, if you want to sell them, they fetch a couple thousand dollars, but, if you win that, like, why on earth would you ever sell it? Right. You know, so there, there needs to be, like, for the people who aren't winning the painting, there needs to be some, some realistic prizes. You know, I mean, you, you don't want just a couple of packs of Italian legends? No. no like, because, <laughs> what else were they giving? They were giving M12 packs. And see, like, even, like, even if you get the best pull out of Italian legends, which I believe would be Tabernacle. Yeah. Um, at the Italian version is like, 
going for around 225 uh, cash value in near mint condition, somewhere around there. Like, that's about the best pull you can hope for, and, like, you're, it's just too much of a gamble, so... Yeah. I mean, yeah, I understand... It's the old packs, you can push the rare to the top, and then, like... And see them, yeah, you can actually... See them. Yeah. You know it's not gonna be a tabernacle. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah and then you gotta try... And, and the, the other side of that, too, is, like, if you do get those packs and you see that it's not a tabernacle, like, people who buy from eBay are smart, so if you post, like, you have these packs on eBay... They're going to be like, well, why are they selling these sealed packs? And anyone who knows anything about buying old packs knows that you can see what the what the cards are if you right. push them up high enough. So they just never really sell for the the amount of money that you would want to get out of them anyway. So yeah. like, also, also the entry fee to Gen Con is prohibitive because it's basically like ninety bucks. Yeah, you have yeah. to you have to register for Gen Con, and then it's some number of tickets to actually be in the event. So it's right, like, so it's not just like a simplest paying your money. Right, it's not just like a twenty dollar tournament or even a you know forty or fifty dollar tournament. Yeah, see, and, and see, that's that's really. I mean, granted, you get to enjoy the rest of Gen Con also. And according to Medina, there's like some weird hentai bar there. That oh, there's actually no nudity. We didn't go. Oh, okay. I was like, cause I, <laughs> when I when yes. I heard about that, I was like, I must see this. But anyway, no. back to the- <laughs> don't. But uh, but anyway, back to the point. We don't have the same logistical convenience on the in the United States that they do in Europe. And the guys who run Bazaar of Moxon are amazing at getting the prizes together. Like the prizes they give away for that tournament are unbelievable. Right. Like yeah. power duels. Like I think first place of uh, or second place of uh, the vintage event last year got like a set of forty duels or something. Like the the prizes were just insane, and then like they had they had like a giveaway prize that was like four Sandrine altered underground seas, which looked incredible. Like they were absolutely <laughs> incredible looking, and we just we just don't have that kind of kind of support here yeah. yet. And it'll like it'll take a while, but going back to the original point of the local scenes, like getting people interested is not that hard. Like people shy away from the format, and I know you guys have covered it covered it several times like in this podcast so many insane plays where people watch the games and they're just their mind their minds are blown by yeah. the sheer like the sheer amount of plays like you know it can get confusing and the only way to, to get people involved when they feel like that is to put a deck in their hands and say let's play a few games and I did that I did that, not necessarily doing that, but I, I have a, fr- a, a friend here, and Heather's played against him. His name is Drake. And when I first got into the format, I talked to him, and I was like, hey, man, I was like, I want to try this out, so do you mind printing out a deck, and let's play some games. And he did it, and it was just, like, instantly fell in love. And, yeah. you know, more and more players followed, and it was literally just that. So I actually, I actually have a bit of a new plan the World Series, the World Series of Poker is about to start here for people who are interested in that. You know, right. there's 60 days worth of events, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm a poker dealer, so I get stuck like working that entire time with no days off. <laughs> so, so my, my vintage exposure will be limited during that time. But after, like, by the time that's over, I plan on having maybe a dozen or so decks proxied, like the most popular decks in the format, you know, various versions of workshops, uh, Blue decks, burning long, Belcher, you know, just a just a very a very broad spectrum of decks. So 
when we have a tournament, if someone's there and they're like, oh, you know, maybe I'll play, I don't really have a deck, I'll just open a box and be like, choose your weapon. Yeah. You know, and it, it like, we, uh, we've had a couple tournaments where we've had guys play who borrowed decks from another buddy of mine who right. has several decks proxied, never played a game of vintage in their life. And they're like, yeah, I'll play it for five bucks, you know, does sure. anybody have an extra deck? And, you know, someone passes them a deck and, I've heard it so many times at our tournaments where people are like, this is the most fun I've ever had playing Magic. Just in the fact that the amount of crazy plays that I've seen, just like my mind is absolutely blown at right. this format. And well, that's, well, it's really sweet to cast spells that are appropriately costed. <laughs> yeah. I like how Vintage is now defining what appropriate cost is. I mean, those, that's when it started, right? <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because the store in Sandusky where we have the tournaments actually asked for a list of vintage decks that they could proxy out, and I assume they're doing you know the you print out seventy five cards and put them in lands with sleeve or in sleeves with lands, and those again those would be used to to loan out to people who want to play them in tournaments or to try them out during the store during or in store during the day. So, and that um, I think that's a pretty good strategy, like. Being able to accommodate extra players who are, you know, curious but not really into the format yet. It's an excellent idea for the shop to get involved, especially if they're going to be holding the tournaments, because even if you get one random player who comes in and is like, oh, do you have any magic going on today? Yeah, yeah. we do. We're about to start, you know, this $10 vintage tournament. It goes on all this, and they're just like, oh, man, I can't play. I don't have a deck. Not to worry, my go. friends. Here you go. Like, <laughs> right. you know, you can let them look through the deck, see which one would appeal to them. And to be fair, people are afraid to jump right in with no knowledge of what's happening. So it helps too when someone from the community is like, oh, hey, you're new. You know, this is kind of what you can expect. Please do not get discouraged. Right. If you, if you just, just tell someone, just don't get discouraged because this format, it's incredible. Like you're gonna see <laughs> the craziest stuff happen, and right. just just think of it as as like don't think of it as like that's crazy. I don't want to be involved. Think of it as like I can do that too. Right. Well, I think it, I read a, a tournament report that Lou Christopher wrote, and it was a while ago. But he was playing Burning Long, and I think his opponent was like was brand new to Vintage, and I think he like yeah. beat him, and then he was like, hey, you know. Do you want to play some more games, and then like you can show me your hand, and I'll show you like kind of what you should do. Yep, that is that's that, what vintage needs. Yeah, that did that did actually happen. Uh, it was it was a young kid that plays. Uh, he's mostly a casual player, and he does play some standard, but he'll play vintage with us if someone has a deck for him because he's only like fourteen years old. He came and he was just hanging out at the shop, and we're like, "Hey, Alex, do you want to play a vintage tournament?" And he's like, I don't have a deck. We handed him one, and he was just ecstatic the whole time. He's like, for, for days and days, he's like, this is the most fun I've ever had. And he would just sit down, and he would watch us play, and we'd give him decks, and he'd play some games. And, you know, it's like everyone who's brand new to the game. They don't know all the cards. Like, because every deck has 31 ups in it outside right. of workshops. So, you know, they don't know everything that's happening, but they're sitting there and they're learning, and that is, that's what I see that it's bringing people back. Right. Well, Jeff, but, you, uh, you read oh, it, 
into somebody new at the uh, most recent Team Series. So. Yeah, the recent TSO, we had nine people, one of which was a first-timer from Sandusky, and he was playing some kind yeah. of... Uh... Actually, that he was from Sandusky is pretty good, because we've uh, historically gotten pretty poor turnout from the host city itself. Like, yeah. People come up from Columbus, you come from Cleveland, Jeff comes from Toledo, Michigan. But but like getting people to play in from Sandusky is a pretty big deal, so I'm, I'm happy that he started there and hopefully he comes back. Yeah, he was playing some kind of green, black, heavily land destruction deck. It was really blowing some of our minds. He didn't do very well, but I know that he had us on the ropes pretty well with a combination of zany things like <laughs> Penumbra Spider and Royal Assassin in addition yeah, to Hell like Dozer, right? Yeah, and Helldozer fucked my oh. world. <laughs> <laughs> But the the store owner at uh, the Hero Zone gave him those printouts of decks, and he was just sort of looking at him, and he said next time he's going to come back be more prepared. He'll either have yeah. a, a different version of the deck that he brought or or a little bit tweaked version yeah. of one of the lists that he gave him. But, I mean, he seemed interested in the format. I talked to him for a little while, and, I mean, I was just psyched that he, he saw that the tournament was happening, was like, oh, I can come to this and see how it yeah. goes. What uh, Do you know what he normally plays? I don't, but he was playing, I mean, his deck was entirely, it was, it was zero proxy, and he was playing and he things like, sinkhole. yeah, he was playing things like sinkhole, so I get the feeling that That's he's been around. Right. It's sort of interesting, because you get, I mean, vintage players can sort of come from a lot of different places. I mean, you get the kitchen table gamers who have been playing, have been playing for 20 years at this point, you get legacy players who have the mana base and the force of wills and some of the other some of the other cards available to them. You get EDH players who have, they're sort of used to playing this Highlander format where, you know, they're playing pretty powerful cards and they maybe want a more competitive or a more one-on-one format or just interest, you know, playing in a different environment. You know, there's a lot of players, a lot of of people who come from different places. I think there's a real misconception too that you can't play with cards that you like from, from standard too, because like when right. I started, the, you know, almost in my opinion, all the best angels are, have been printed since Bane Slayer on. Right. And I wanted to play with Entreat the Angels. <laughs> that was, <laughs> poor Joe. <laughs> and you know, but what was hilarious was when the first time I brought it to the shop and like, I would play, like, Joe knew what I had, but nobody else did. And so I would, you know, miracle the entreat the angels and my opponent would just be looking at me like, what the <laughs> just happened here? <laughs> <laughs> what do I even do with this card? Like, I have right. all these things <laughs> and then they do nothing. Yeah. But I mean, obviously that didn't work out as well as I planned. So then I, you know, I had to, to go to the experts to build me, uh, my resto vintage, my vintage restoration deck. I but, think that, uh, I, I like that you, Consider me an expert. Please. You are. You are an expert. <laughs> You're my vintage guru. You enjoy. Restoration Angel costs four net. You know about that. Yeah, it doesn't cost three, though. It doesn't cost three. <laughs> I think that in general, I mean, vintage, I mean, it can be a good place for, I mean, the foundation of Ohio style is playing what you want. Right. Working that into the format. I mean, that can be satisfying, fun, good for everyone involved. Right. And it's in for, it's like, been... eternal magic. It talk about, like, these people that just, like, own these cards that come out of the woodwork. If you go to any major legacy event and you pick out the people over 40, 
one of those dudes is playing lands, and he has every single card, and he's had all of them <laughs> since they came out. Yeah. He's play lands forever, and he has like a $5,000 deck. Hey, yeah. I, I remember when Tabernacle was a $1 card. <laughs> this card is terrible. Why would you play it? It kills all your creatures. Jeez. I actually remember, and I obviously I regret this now because I own a set of bazaars. But I remember when bazaar was unplayable. Oh yeah, it's card no, disadvantage. It still is. It's card disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> the game certainly has changed, and vintage has changed, and just the power level. Like obviously, the 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 power level of the cards that we have from back then are insane. Like. Anyone who plays Legacy and has never played Vintage who thinks that Brainstorm shouldn't be banned is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've obviously, they've obviously just become too set in their ways. Like, and I, I'll, I'll be honest, I was one of those guys. Like, I, I play a lot of combo in Legacy as well. Like, I play decks like ANT and TES. Like, I've played my, a fair amount of High Tide. I when I started playing vintage, I had realized that brainstorm was restricted. I was like, "All right, this doesn't seem that bad." Until I cast my first brainstorm in vintage, and I was like, "This card is ridiculous!" Like, it gave me an entirely new outlook on the card itself. And brainstorm is it, ridiculous in legacy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 that that's that's the point I'm getting to is that like I, I hear people at these events complain that cards like mystical tutor are banned, like. Mystical Tutor should absolutely be banned. Like, that card should never be unbanned in Legacy. Because if you, like, you have four Brainstorm, four Ponder, and four Preordain, and now four Gitaxian Probe in a lot of the combo decks that people are playing, that is just a ridiculous amount of redundancy. Now, think about why these cards were restricted in Vintage. Like, the long deck had the most ridiculous turn one win percentage in history of any deck, like, since the original uh, four Academy builds of, like, the 90s, like, 1999. Like, there's a reason that those cards are restricted in this format, and the power level of Legacy is obviously not as powerful, but when you put four Brainstorm and four Ponder in the same deck, like, you just have an insane amount of consistency, and it, it really gives you... Like, playing those cards in Vintage and, and having them restricted really gives you some insight into why those cards are so powerful. Right. Yeah, Brainstorm is really good. Yeah, especially when it's attached to a guy that just ends the game. <laughs> and, and people wonder why is they're like, why is he $150? I'm like, have you played Jace the Mind Sculptor? <laughs> really? Like, I mean, he's obviously a legacy staple, but... He doesn't see the same amount of play as he does in Vintage and as he did when he was legal and standard. Eh, right. He's okay. <laughs> he's uh, four drop, what are you going to do? Four drop, hey, unplayable. Turn one, landmarks, go. Mana drain your guy, play my Jace, game over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and I understand why the community as a whole is afraid of cards like those in in Vintage, but... People like people who are who are thinking of trying the format. You shouldn't be discouraged because whatever you see your opponent doing, you, you can, can do, do all too. those things. You yeah. can do all those things, and sometimes you can do them better and faster. And it is so satisfying to turn one Jace a workshop opponent because they just look <laughs> at you like they just get the sigh and they're like, yeah, okay. And especially especially if they're not turn oneing Lodestone Golem. Well, it's, it's funny because vintage. I mean, you really do the same things that you would normally do in a 
in a standard game, you just do them in fewer turns. I mean, like, Ab- you still, absolutely. You still have this period of you know establishing a you know base, either mana base or you know, creature base, that sort of thing, and then you have this mid game where you're struggling with your opponent to gain control, and then you have this end game where you're mm-hmm. figuring out how to put your opponent away. What's the best way to do that? And, you know, everything still happens. It's all still Magic the Gathering that goes yeah. on. It's just, but it, it happens in a different way. And it's, it's, yeah, it's you just get compressed. to you just get to play with the most broken versions of those right. spells. Like that. That's why uh, when um, I can't remember what what the gentleman's name was that won Gen Con this last year with Mark Lenegra. Yeah, Mark Lenegra when he won it with the Grixis deck. That deck, when I first saw it, uh, because there were, it had started posting results in Europe before Gen Con, and then he came over and won with the deck. I was really excited to see that deck because it was a control deck that I felt like eternal players and even standard players who are used to playing decks that are like more controlly could get behind because it was a deck that, yeah, it has fast mana and it has card advantage, but you get to establish games the same way that you do in a less powerful format, but right. you still have, like, the bombs in there, like Time Vault, Tinker, etc. And uh, I was really excited to see that deck because it it kind of opened the way for especially a few of the locals to see the deck and be like, yeah, I could play that. And the same thing with Mike's uh, Mike Salamasi's deck, the Rug Delver deck. It was sure. the same thing. We had We had a handful of players who started in the format on that deck because it was something that they could get behind because they were familiar with how it played. And um, Vintage has really been going in a way that I think that players can get behind as long as there's someone there to help them realize that cards like Demonic Tutor are broken, but you get to play them too. Right. Well, Heather, how did how did you come into Vintage? I mean, you said that you said earlier that Vintage fit your lifestyle. What do you mean by that? How did, why did Vintage appeal to you? Well, I tried initially when I got back into Magic to play at FNM and, you know, Standard and all that jazz, but uh-huh. Standard now is absolutely nothing like Standard was in, you know, 2000, 2001. Like, it's just, okay. it's not even close to feasible. And, you know, when you work in the casinos, your schedule is so bizarre. <laughs> Okay. And so I don't have like a lot of Friday nights off. And then so I saw Joe, you know, tweeting like I would I was watching him for a while and he would tweet, <laughs> he would tweet every like couple months. He'd be like having a vintage tournament, you know, come on down. And I was like, you know, I can do every couple months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and more importantly, I can do a deck that I just get to play forever. You know what I mean? Right. I don't have to fight with the standard crowd and, and the value traders. Right. Well, I know I know a big part of Vintage is that it doesn't have, I mean, a lot of the Vintage crowd is a little bit um, older. I mean, you're looking at people who are in their mid to late 20s and beyond. Um, that really appealed to me, too. Yeah, and, it, you know, you have this, this more sort of level-headed community. They're not quite as dramatic as a high school yes. or college-based community would be. And I mean, we were is, talking about Mike Salamasi earlier. Let's just leave Sally out of this. And I'm, I'm sure, like, I'm sure, you know, at, especially some of the European where you're playing for big money or like at Gen right. Con where it's like, I'm sure people get serious and tilt, but oh, like, sure. for, the, for the most part, like, I think vintage everywhere is just pretty casual and pretty, like, right. you know, people aren't just like freaking out. No, they, they want to see all the things happen, right. even well, if it's happening to them. 
<laughs> you know what was really cool, though, about the very first time I went was when Joe threw a tournament and, like, a little mini tournament. He was like, hey, just come on down. We're going to get together. It's just informal, nothing crazy. So I had that night off, and I went down, and it was hilarious because the vintage, we were all the we had one table, and we were in the back, and everybody was playing F&M, and, like, between rounds, they would come, and they would, like, it was like we were we were part oh. of the Godfather crew. They would come yeah, and they'd come like, watch. Come yeah. watch and like peek over their shoulders like, wow, that part's so cool. And and then uh it was hilarious because I sucked so bad. <laughs> I was so I had not played magic in so long. And Joe was like sitting right beside me and he's like, Nope, nope, can't cast that. Nope. You're, you're fetch land. You actually have to fetch a land. <laughs> he was like, he was like over my shoulder. He's like, nope, nope. <laughs> but but everybody I played was, uh, they were super great. Yeah, I, I could tell you though that uh, that my buddy Drake was really uh, surprised by the fact that he couldn't beat a four four angel token. <laughs> yeah. It's true. What do you do about that? He had that, like, I was sitting there watching the game, and she popped an entry for one, and he just looked, and he's like, oh, man. He's like, I don't think I can beat that. And I'm just sitting there kind of laughing in the background. I'm like, yeah, a 4-4 a four, four flyer, like, there's a reason that the deck, the original gotcha. deck was so powerful for so long. Right. 4-4 four, four, four flyers are tough to beat in the format. Well, speaking about the original deck, I mean, Vintage sort of, also has a slower pace. I mean, you don't really need to. I mean, Heather talks about you know not being able to play every week. Like, you can still keep up with the format because it doesn't change that quickly. You know, when new sets come out, you might have to adjust to one or two new cards. Yeah, I not, really, really yeah. like that. That you only have yeah. to get. You know, you don't have to get a complete play set of every card in every of all of all right. the things. You just need. You know what I mean? There's just like you know maybe three or four cards that are going to be good or, that you might even want in your deck, and then you just get those and and you're set for ever. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a big difference to a lot of players because you really don't have to. There's not as much pressure on you to keep up. Additionally, the the cards that you want to get are often. Not the expensive cards. Right. It's like typical uncommons or even commons. There aren't a whole lot of chase rares that are applicable in vintage. Obviously <laughs> there are exceptions, but I mean, I know that the last, I don't know, the last dozen cards that I've gotten from current sets have probably not been owed more than a dollar a piece. Yeah, I feel yeah. like when a new set comes out, I spend 20 bucks and I have most of what I want. Yeah. The other good thing too that that should appeal to players is uh, I know that there's always a lot of controversy surrounding the restricted list, but having to not worry about every ban cycle and something being banned or unbanned that just like throws the format into upheaval is really, really is it's really good. I personally feel like I mean I'm I'm still I would still consider myself a very new player because I've only been playing around a year mm-hmm. uh, as far as vintage is concerned, but I love the restricted list. I love everything about it. <laughs> I I don't necessarily agree with every single card on it. That's the discussion for a different time, but I love the fact that it exists. Yeah. And after playing Legacy forever and ever and playing... Like, cause I, I started playing around Ice Age. I played during Black Summer. I played during Combo Winter. You know, I played all those decks and like when you have consistency through redundancy, it I mean, it's still magic, so it's still fun, but it's not as fun. Yeah, it's not as fun as thinking about 
Alright, I have this Vampiric Tutor in my deck, and I'm looking at the board state, and I have 31 ofs that I can go get. What is the best card for me to possibly get? And no, that like, is the worst. That is so hard. <laughs> <That's the best. laughs> no, that, that is so hard. I, I can't tell you how many times I have to, I'll be like texting Joe or Justin, and I'll be like, I don't know what card to get. That's like, why you play gifts and get them all. I don't know what to do. I'm like, I have like 20 cards I could get, and I have no, I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, eventually I'm just, you know, like any mini mini mo in my head. Uh, and, and that's, and that, that's, that's what is appeal, that's what's appealing about the format to me. It's like, the format is essentially a puzzle, and the more pieces you add to the puzzle, it's like, what's harder to put together, a 20,000 piece puzzle or a 5,000 piece puzzle? Obviously, the decision the, tree, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Obviously, well, I, the fifty or the twenty thousand. Especially piece with my harder. deck that my guru built me, because like when you have like half your deck in your graveyard and you're about to put down a snapcaster, it's like, oh my gosh! I don't Start with ancestral I, recolor. Yeah, time it's like, I don't even know what I'm gonna do right now. And then, and then the best. And yeah, things. you're only playing blue and white too. You're not even playing black, so you don't even I'm have to factor Yogmoth's well into that. Yeah, no. And the best thing is you can draw. And you're drawing dead, and you draw like a fetch land, and you put your card down on the table, and then you pick up your graveyard and look at it, and your opponent's like, she drew a snapcaster me. (laughs) (laughs) And that, that, that's what's so intriguing to me about the format is that it's literally, you could spend your entire life playing this format, and you'll never have a replay down, because there's just too much happening. And when your opponent has as many cards in their hand as you do, like, you can't, it's not like Legacy. Like, when I'm playing Legacy, like, I play a lot of, like, I sort of play a lot of, like, TES, and, uh, which I know, like, guys like Jacob, Kobe, Corey can get behind. Like, it's pretty easy to tell what someone has in their hand by the lines of play that they're making. Not so much in Vintage. Like, you can kind of get a handle uh, on blue players. Like, if you have a decent idea of what's in their deck, like, you can tell if they have a drain in their hand or maybe a force. And then you can deduce from there, but still, like, you know, you're, you're at best, like, 60% at guessing what they have in their hand. Right. And you, like, you just get to, you just get to make these plays, and when you have all these one-ups, it just, it just opens up so many more avenues, and there's so many more roads that you can take. And it just makes, it makes for a more interesting game of Magic, in my opinion. Well, that, that's part of it. I mean, like, the finished metagame right now is fairly open. I mean, like, you can, you can do a lot of different things. I mean, the, we have a good combo deck in Burning Long, we have, Mm-hmm. All the way down to a good blue control deck and Landstill, Bomberman, that sort of thing. And you have everything yeah. in between. And even, even with the shop decks, there's a, a, you know, several different variants that happen. So it's not like, there's a lot of different things that are good right now and can win a tournament on any given day. Absolutely. Like you can, like you can just check, uh, and people ask me occasionally, like where I go to look at the results and I just tell them to go to morphling.de. Yeah. And, like, if you just look at the, the metagames around the world, like, there's a different deck in every tournament that's winning. Right. Like, I mean, you, you see your, you see your popular choices, you know, various workshops, Dredge, Burning Long is obviously the up and coming, like, the, uh, up and coming deck with the unrestriction of Burning Wish. But now you have, like, the Tezzeret decks are coming back, the yeah. Tezzeret Grim Monolith decks. Doomsday has been making a comeback I've seen in the Midwest. There's so much that you can be doing. Um, and uh, I can't remember what his name was. It just won one of your guys' tournament with Belcher. 
Like, that just goes to show you, yeah, yeah, that, that goes to show you that's still a deck, and, like, even I, I see that there's elves list popping up in your area occasionally. Like, <laughs> it, Riley, Ohio. tournaments are purely Ohio style. <laughs> yeah, but, but still, but still, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's Ohio style, it's, right. if, if it's on there and it can be there for someone to see, someone right. might play it somewhere else and it might spread, like, yeah. there's, there's no reason that yeah, people shouldn't true. try something different. Yeah. But, well, uh, so what kind of tactical things are you doing to get people into vintage? I mean, like, are you, I mean, like, I know in Columbus, like, a lot of it ends up coming down to talking to people individually and being like, hey, come on out and, you know, play with us. I, and I can let you borrow a deck. And, I do, I actually do quite a bit of that. Um, okay. I, there, there are actually people in Vegas who have a lot more influence with the local player base than I do. Even uh, though I know, I know pretty much everyone, but, I don't. It's it's probably kind of bad that I do this, but I distance myself a little bit from the community as a whole because of the way the community is in Vegas. So I talk to two friends of mine that um that are you know in with more of like the standard crowd and the draft crowd and stuff, and I get the word out that way. We actually have a local Las Vegas Magic players page that has a few hundred members from uh-huh. all over Vegas, uh, even what? parts of California what? and stuff. Yeah, we do. We do, but uh, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you more about that after, Heather. Um, but we, uh, I make I make posts in there, and I'm I'm pretty close with a couple of the local shop owners, so I'll put out flyers and stuff like that when I actually have the opportunity to make them and get the word out that way. So it's uh, it's a lot of little things that that help get the players. But to be fair, like for as much as I've done in the past year, like I think once Heather started playing, like her voice really spread the word of vintage at least worldwide like way more than I ever could have. Like she did more in the span of a month than I felt like I had done in a whole year. Wow. Yeah, she well, I mean she tweets, she has a couple thousand followers, she tweets and it just goes out everywhere. Well, Seems real strong. Fun. <laughs> the world it needs is, to know. It is fun. You started like a whole trade movement in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, like, my, I guess, I guess my best advice is, uh, to local players is if you want to do it, it'll take some time. It'll definitely take some time, but don't get discouraged and, uh, try it. Like, if you can get one person that is willing to play and then is willing to help you, like I had, like, my friends helped out a lot. Like, my friends, I have to shout them out a little. My (laughs) friends Drake and my friend Hunter, my buddy James, who Heather knows and Heather herself. Oh, okay, wait a minute. Hunter, wasn't he the (laughs) one who had the only Turn one kill, or was it turn two? Yes, he was. He was playing. Uh, Menin- he was playing Menendians. What's it that? Was- the, the Rogue Hermit deck. Oh. And uh, he killed his opponent on turn one, and everyone was just like, "It, it was, was just so a wild moment." Fantastic, because I had, it was my first vintage, you know, experience, and like all you hear about is vintage turn one kill, good game. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's all. That's like all you ever hear anybody can like say about it. And so like I thought like I would go and like I would just always be dead like turn one. And, like, that didn't happen at, like, the whole tournament. I never, like, you know, the games were going, like, so long. Well, especially my games. <laughs> then all of a sudden, like, he starts Turn doing this stuff. And everybody <laughs> stops, like, what they're doing. And they're just watching Hunter. And they're like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? <laughs> it was pretty fantastic. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my my closest uh, to turn, I, I had a few turn two kills that tournament. But I did not get any turn ones, just for various reasons. That that is also the truth. Also, and it's been said by these guys many times, is that vintage is not as much of a turn one format as people want it to be. Oh yeah, like, 
a lot of people who don't know the format, they want it to be a turn form, a turn one format, and that's just not the case. Like, yeah. Well, I think um, that's part of it is there's this, this stigma about vintage that it's not, not only expensive, which proxies help with that a little bit. But yeah. It's, it's, it's super fast. It's unplayably fast for, you know, yep. well, you not sitting down against someone when I'm just going to, you know, lose the coins with and then lose my turn one. Exactly, and you know, yeah. I mean, and it, and it does happen, but it's a it's a fairly low percentage of the game. So don't be discouraged by that. I, I encourage people to use proxies because oh, sure. it's the fastest way to build a scene. And later on down the road, when you like, you know, if you have people who are really like really stoked on the format and they want to uh, be like they want to get more of the cards, then you can start like building more of a scene that's based on proxy rules, but. Well, that's, yeah. that's part of it. Is most people want to play with the real cards. Yeah, I mean, out here we actually have weekly sanctioned vintage, yeah. which I haven't played in a while because, well, my work and tax season and everything like that. But, yeah, I mean, sanctioned vintage is awesome because you play against so many weird things. Yeah, that's what I... I actually started on sanctioned vintage, too. And it was, you know, it wasn't that bad. Like, I, I yeah. bought well, that's... horses in my dual lands and started from there. But Yeah, well, I mean, like... There, like, you could, like, if you are into a deck like Landstill, like, really all you need for that deck besides the dual lands and forces is, like, a library. You don't actually have to have the power. There are ways around it. Yeah. Like, obviously, it makes your deck better, but, right, right. I mean, it's playable without it, you know. Right. They do yeah. a legacy. And, and, and the, the same with, um, don't do that much for you. Yeah, no, exactly. You don't need manager, and you can play counterspell in that spot. Right. Like if you really want to play in a sanctioned vintage tournament, and right. and you see a lot of that in Europe too with decks like White Trash and like the Hate Bears decks and stuff like that. You know, the guys they want to play, so they get the cheapest pieces first. They build their decks, and they're good to go until they, you know, are either winning pieces or buying or trading for what they need. Yeah, I, so. I, I think there's lots of ways to get into vintage, and they, you know, it's just nice to see that there there are people out there who are trying to. Trying to make it more popular and trying to talk to people and sort of demystify it a little bit because I think that's a big part of it. Right? Heather obviously got a big Twitter presence and I feel like she's done a pretty good job. But. As long as Heather, like, cause she, like her, like, I only have around 90 followers or so. Like, yeah. luckily for me, most of them are, are vintage related, but they're all people who are already established in the format. Right. Like Heather, like, I'm glad that Heather picked the format up because it really it's going to help give the format a voice because she just has such a broad appeal to players. And now that she's the... Community uh, manager? Yeah, the community manager for legit, that's just going to give her even more of a voice. (laughs) So (laughs) that's really going to do a lot for the format as a whole, and I'm really glad that she's involved. You know, a lot of people that hadn't really thought about vintage as an option until I started tweeting or like posting proxies to make them jealous from the proxy right. guy. Or, um, you know, like when I said I wanted to start, you know, I got little gifts, little, you know, welcome to vintage packages. And then, you know, Joe, like there's so many vintage players out there who have like pretty much like so many extra of like, especially like the commons, like the regular commons, uncommons. You know, and even some of the bigger stuff that'll just help you out. Like, it's just a great community. It's like way, sure. way more helpful and like encouraging than some of the other, like especially standard dungeons right. we started. Well, I feel like a lot of the vintage <laughs> players are pretty enthusiastic about the format, so it's just like they're just so excited. There's another person. So happy that someone else is gonna play. <laughs> like, like, hey, hello, you want to play vintage with me? Please sit down. Like, can I get you tea? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to vintage. Good luck finding a tournament. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've pretty much solved the tournament issue here. We can't have them as often as I'd like, but we get them. We get them. I'm able to schedule them here and there, and. uh it's it's really hard to schedule a vintage tournament here around everything else that's happening oh, yeah. because we have three major shops in town that run PTQs, ICQs for Star City games, GPTs. There's just so much going on in Vegas like that's Magic related. So uh, it's it's really a uh, a chore to try to find a slot that works for everyone. Right. But I, I also heard awesome. saw a rumor that uh, I guess maybe this is a good segue of there's going to be a Grand Prix. Modern Master Sealed is going to be in Las Vegas. Yes. I thought that there may be a vintage side event there. I'm currently talking with Damian Brunson, who is the owner of Tier 1 Games, about getting a vintage side event. I I don't have many details yet. Um, It's still kind of like a grassroots type of thing. But uh, I'm trying to see what the limitations are as far as, like, because it's at a Grand Prix, does it have to be sanctioned? You know, if it if it doesn't have to be sanctioned, like how many proxies can we get? Because the more proxies there, like I know this sounds ridiculous, but the more proxies there are, the more people I know will play. Mm-hmm. Because and not only that, but we'll have guys like David Williams and Eric Froelich, like guys who don't want to bring their twenty thousand dollar decks to the event site, where you know there's going to be tons of people that you don't know, like lurking around and stuff. Like it would. It would give them a way to, you know, get away from the riffraff and play. <laughs> well, also, yeah, the, so the exactly Grand Prix exciting. in Chicago Legacy that I went to in 2009, the, the reason that I went from Colorado is they actually did have a vintage side event mm-hmm. uh, on Sunday, and they allowed proxies. And I know this because that's when I played against Danny Friedman. Huh. He was playing red-green Goblin Welder, and he started game one with... Proxy Taiga, make red, cast foil Japanese goblin welder. <laughs> that's awesome. That yeah, that's that's like definitely something that would uh happen around here. <laughs> that's a vintage thing. <laughs> yeah, yep, I have these sweet Japanese foil cards that are worth more than your car, but I don't have any dual hands. You don't have a Vendillion click. <laughs> I will definitely do what I can, though, and I'll uh, I'll keep you guys updated as I get more information on it. Yeah, that sounds good. So if vintage players are going to be coming out to Las Vegas, where might they be, you know, eating? eating? Yeah. (laughs) Well, to be fair, Heather may actually know more about what's going on on the Strip than I do, because I don't spend a lot of time there outside of work. The biggest obstacle is the fact that the event site is a couple miles north of downtown. It's at the Cashman Center. It's by it's, Old Vegas, because we, we got our yeah, hotel room off Fremont Street. Yeah, it's definitely it's by Fremont me. Street. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's about a mile or so north of Fremont, so it's easily accessible by cab, and it won't be, it won't be an expensive cab ride. Somebody gave me a reason why they didn't have it at one of the 200 more convenient places <laughs> on the strip. I'm assuming that it's gambling related, because we have, we have some strange laws here about technically games of variance. So I can see the reason for them having that, like, that far away. The closest place that I actually enjoy going to 
that is going to be near the Cashman Center. It's actually not too far from there. It's called Insert Coins. It's actually a video game bar. Yes, it's fantastic. And it is, it is, <laughs> it is very, very cool. You'll actually probably see a lot of the magic community there during that weekend because it's, you can just go in and they, they actually have a bar in there. Like you can go in and drink and you can play video games until your heart's content. Um, they have VIP booths where yeah. your booth has an Xbox so you can challenge your friends. You can get bottle service. Yep. Wow. It is, it is like a video game club, but it's, it's reasonable. It's not really expensive or anything. It's actually quite a bit of fun. Asking where you can drink specifically though in Vegas is kind of redundant because you can literally drink anywhere at any time. The only thing that you can't do, you can't have an alcoholic beverage outside anywhere except for Fremont Street and Las Vegas Boulevard it's from, Boulevard. Yeah, yeah, from uh, Stratosphere down to Mandalay. You can go into any casino, act like you're gambling on a machine, put 20 bucks in there, order a couple of drinks, cash out and walk away. You could literally make an alcohol <laughs> river in this town and yeah, just stick and your face you in want, there. Like, if you're planning your culinary adventures, I mean, there's like the obvious local favorites, which will be, you know, like you see all the pros tweeting about um, Lotus of Siam. Yeah, if you follow is, LSV or David Williams. Yeah, like, like they're going to be there. there. Like if they're in Vegas, they're going to be there. They're going to be eating there. But there's actually a, uh, in the same shopping or like little area, uh, center that Lotus to Siam is, is another place called Kamal. And I actually think it's better. It's still Thai food, but it, I mean, it's just amazing. And they have, um, I, like, uh, I mean, there's just so many places in town. It's like, it's so, it's so hard to like pick one because there's so many like amazing chefs here, but there's a cute little place in, like, if you're on the strip, there's a cute little place called Secret Pizza. Oh, Secret Pizza is awesome. It's at Cosmopolitan. Yes. You have to go into the casino, and it's, like, down a hallway and down another hallway, and there's just, like, a door there. And it doesn't look like anything. But their pizza is really, really good. It's really, really good. It's New York-style pizza, and it's fantastic. That sounds good. There, there is one place that you should experience when you come. It's actually downtown also. It's called the Heart Attack Grill. I'm, I'm, (laughs) I, I would not be surprised if the place isn't famous, like, Across the U.S. by now, it's actually owned by a doctor who because got that s- guy died there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it oh, is. sorry. It, it is actually owned by a doctor who I, I guess got tired of treating people who wouldn't take care of themselves, so he decided to open this restaurant. Their their burgers are good. They ha- they do actually have good food there. If you're over, I believe it's 350 pounds, you get to eat for free. And yeah, also Joe, what's the name of that place the mayor opened where you can rent a you can buy a girl with your steak? Oh, I it's have, down I to been there also yet. on Fremont Street since most of Magic will be on. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it eventually, but the it's on Fremont Street and it's a steakhouse that uh, Mayor Oscar Goodman opened. And you go in, and if you're alone, you can pay for a girl to sit with you while you eat. <laughs> that um, sounds actually, like the ultimate admission of loneliness. <laughs> it's, it's actually it's actually called Oscars. It's at the Plaza, which is uh, yes, at the very the, end. Yes. The, the Plaza Hotel and Casino is at the very end of Fremont Street. You can buy Street. a steak and a blonde. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. I have yet to eat there yet, but now I kind of want to go because it yeah. sounds good. Oh, and since we're going to be on Fremont Street, you have to go to Main Street and pee on the Berlin Wall. <laughs> <Done>. <laughs> yes. Do y'all know um, 
<laughs> the owner of Main Street, he bought a piece of the Berlin Wall and installed it in the men's restroom so you can actually go pee on the wall. <laughs> See, it's funny because my wife went to Vegas for work like a couple of weeks ago and she was saying that it's like really bizarre because it's a place that is so extravagant and over the top that extravagant and over the top is just sort of like it's par for the course and you have to just sort of get wrapped up in that in order to appreciate because the sheer absurdity of it if you just talk about it in normal circumstances like what the f- <laughs> It, uh, one, one thing that you can say about Vegas is that if you've lived here, like, as long as Heather and I have, mm-hmm. you, and especially in our jobs, like, I work in a casino, she works in a casino, and especially with her job because she's a medic, you will see so much stuff that going anywhere else in the world will seem dull. Yeah. Like, you, you, just, you come, like, you come here and you stay for a while, and, like, you see tourists who are just, like, I can't believe I'm looking at this. And you're just like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, what's <laughs> wrong here? Like, it, it's 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 very much like that. You you become. I mean, it's it's fun, but it's kind of bad in a way that you you really become desensitized to yes, yeah all of the things. I mean, all the things. yeah, literally all of the things. <laughs> like how Halloween. If you if you have the opportunity to come to Halloween here, like you will see the most bizarre and intense things you can imagine. And they're just they're just another day. Like it, it's. <laughs> well, I was I was in Vegas a couple months ago, and it's the first time I've ever been there. And everything was like like Jeff's wife said. It's just like everything was so over the top that I was like, all right, I need to go to a normal bar. Yeah. <laughs> and there are no normal bars. Like, the Griffin oh, the, the Griffin's fantastic. Bar. Yeah, the Griffin is a fantastic place. I really uh, enjoy going there. Our hotel that we got is two blocks away, and that's mm-hmm. my deciding factor is because it's so close to the Griffin. I was going to get to that, and I was going to mention there. The, the Griffin and the Vanguard is also on the same block. Like, both of those are really good bars. Like, the Griffin especially is very laid back. It's very, like, it's kind of dark in there, but you can sit around and have a conversation, and it's not super loud. The drinks are really reasonably priced. The staff is really nice. If I personally were going to hang out at any bar downtown, it would probably be there. Hmm. And and it is because of all those factors. I've spent quite a bit of time there in my seven or so years that I've lived in Vegas, and there's no other place I'd rather go if I was just looking for, like, a normal bar experience in a town that is just full of excess. Yeah, I agree. The Griffin was awesome. I'm not sure what... There's another place next door to... Heather, you may know the name of it, but it's actually like a bar where they have shows and stuff. The Beauty Bar? Yeah, the Beauty Bar. Beauty Bar is actually really cool, too. They have a lot of live music and stuff there. And Yeah, and uh, in the summertime, since it's going to be in the summer, the back will all be open, and they'll probably have bands and stuff playing. Like, there's usually no cover, and, uh, like, the drinks are... They're fairly reasonably priced, but, like, what you're paying for extra in the drink is what you're paying for your entertainment. So that whole section of downtown, it's full of a lot of locals, like, a lot of, and uh, especially Griffin Vanguard, um, a lot more people, like, mid-20s, you know, young professionals. You know, it's a good crowd. It's uh, pretty laid back, and it's a good place to go when you're trying to escape, like, all the rest of the stuff that's happening. Because there will be, and especially with EDC, like, Electric Daisy Car- Carnival being in town, you will... Definitely not see any shortage of crazy. There will be plenty of... Oh, yeah, and as just a little, as your local PSA announcement here, you should not 
absolutely not during that weekend take any drugs from anybody in a club because yeah, you know, all the drugs that come into town that weekend are almost all of them are fake or they're cut with really bad stuff because they're just trying to pump out all the stuff for the EDC crowd and they're just and they and not only that but they like double charge like if you're going to get a hit of X <laughs> And like California for like four bucks, it's gonna be like twenty five dollars. Not you know what only I mean? like, will they be bad drugs, they'll be expensive. Yes, yeah, so don't, just don't, just leave it, leave it all alone that weekend. Man, do I have to bleep this entire like <laughs> thirty second segment right here? I think I no, might. No, it's all good. I mean, we're not talking about anything. Yeah. But yeah, you're saying don't do the drugs. <laughs> yeah, that was a public service announcement. Yeah. <laughs> If you've, if you've never been to Vegas before, definitely be mindful of your surroundings, especially if you're spending a lot of time downtown. Like, just don't be anywhere alone if you can help it. Like, it's, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just common sense. Like, I mean, Vegas is relatively safe for the type of town that we are, but there's just no reason to ever put yourself in a situation where something bad could happen to you. So, you know, just like, if you, like, most people are coming with friends, just stay in groups, (laughs) you know, watch, watch your wallet, like, put your wallet in your front park. In your front pocket, like it's basic big city common sense stuff, you know. Yeah, usual travel awareness. Exactly, you know, it's it's just height. Like you need heightened awareness to to live in a or to to visit a place like Vegas because the money and the things like that, like it it attracts a lot of shady people. So, speaking of which, you know, something I never knew about Vegas, but I think I learned from reading your article, Heather, was uh, don't pick up hoes in Maine, Vegas. Yeah. yeah, actually, and that's, no, that that's relevant num- for Magic players. It is, yes, it is, because <laughs> a lot of people players. they I think, oh wow, it. we're in Nevada, we're gonna go get us a girl. You know what I mean? Like it's super illegal. It's really not though, because and, you're in Clark County, and it's yeah, not Clark illegal. County it is illegal. And not only that, but like I don't think uh, most of the world understands, obviously, because they're not here. But let's say you have a hundred people who purchase a prostitute, right? Probably 88 of those people just get robbed. They don't actually get sex. (laughs) So, I mean, you don't, I mean, the girls, they're giving you drinks and you're passing out or going to the shower and they're out with your watch and you're safe and you're- Hey man, in every case, you get (laughs) I mean, mean, if if your goal is to get a prostitute, there'll be another Grand Prix Mexico City eventually. (laughs) Yes. Just don't. It's not legal. It's, you you can go to jail in and worse. <laughs> so it, you do not want to be in jail in Clark County. No, you do not. Excellent point, Joe. You, you do not want to be in jail here. Do not like, want to be in jail here. This is a, no, yeah. no, sir. This is the most educational, serious food and drink we've ever had. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Oh, and another thing too, if you're out drinking and having a good time, which I'm sure you will be, we encourage you to yeah, have the best, have the best time you can within, you know, without putting yourself Reason. in any danger. <laughs> if you encounter a police officer, do not, do not run your mouth at them. Yeah. <laughs> because we, we have, Josh. we have <laughs> our police officers here, like they're okay. But we have a very, very high instance of police shootings in Nevada. Shootings? Our, our like, homes don't play. <laughs> they yeah, go straight we, to the gun. Like we, like very our, respectful. It, it's, it, I mean, you just, just use common sense, you know, be yeah. respectful if they're don't talking to you. To like, Popo. don't, don't try to lie because they will take you to jail. Like, oh, absolutely. We, 
the the cops here like they see the most absurd the most absurd things you can see anywhere day in and day out and the last thing they want to do is deal with some tourist who's giving them lip, you know. So yeah. just just be nice. Like if if you know if you're out just like moseying around or whatever, and you're drinking, as long as you're on Fremont Street or on the Strip, like you're not going to get any trouble. A lot of times they just come up to you because they're looking out for you. Like a cop in this town can tell if you're a tourist. They will, yeah. they can tell if you're a local. So if they come up to you, just you know just be nice and you'll get helped out. It's always something good to keep in mind. Like, and, and the locals here, like your casino dealers, your hotel staff, they're going to be doing what they can to look out for you, but they obviously, like, they're, they can't babysit you. Right. So be mindful. Be mindful of your surroundings. Be mindful of the people that, you, that you're associating with while you're here because there's a, there's a shady character or two. <laughs> or two. Yeah, <laughs> good, good advice. Don't, uh, we have tournaments coming up, Nat? So, specifically, what I was thinking about is there's a Twan Serious Open. I don't know if we can even publicize that. It's private event, invitation only. Yeah, that, I don't care. That's, yeah, that's, that's what we're saying about it. It's private event. If you have (laughs) any questions, (laughs) if you have any questions about the event at all, just forget. uh, Yeah, feel free to call (laughs) or text message, uh, 440-258-4341. Uh, Anthony Michaels will be available to answer any questions that you have. <laughs> and, and in addition to that, we just scheduled an event in Columbus for Memorial Day weekend on May 26th. So anyone's interested, they can get in on that. Well, you've done it again. You've spent another hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Josh Chappell. I'm Nat Mose, and we've been joined today by Tom and how do we want Joe and Heather to say bye? Oh, we can just put them in and be... So long, farewell, I'll even say I do. No, not that. <laughs> <laughs>